Let's open the Scriptures to the letter of Paul to the Romans, Romans chapter 5 and some verses from chapter 7. And we're reading in connection with what we confess in the Belgian Confession, Article 15, about the sin, the first sin of mankind and what effects that had on the human race. Romans 5 verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We pause there and turn the page over to chapter 7, verse 7, and read into chapter 8, verse 11. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. 
Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 505, where we find the Word of God summarized by the church in Article 15 of the Belgic Confession. And the subject matter here is original sin. Closely connected to the previous article, which we dealt with last time. We confess in Article 15, we believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race, 
It is a corruption of the entire nature of man and a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. As a root, it produces in man all sorts of sin. It is therefore so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn the human race. It is not abolished nor eradicated even by baptism, for sin continually streams forth like water welling up from this woeful source. Yet, in spite of all this, original sin is not imputed to the children of God to their condemnation, but by His grace and mercy is forgiven them. This does not mean that the believers may sleep peacefully in their sin, but that the awareness of this corruption may make them often groan as they eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death. In this regard, we reject the error of the Pelagians who say that this sin is only a matter of imitation. That's Article 15 of our Belgic Confession. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in Article 14, we saw that man's decision to rebel in the Garden of Eden carried with it these massive consequences. We saw that man who had been created in the image of God fully equipped to serve God. That's how we started out in, in, in creation. Nevertheless, we, we threw away those good gifts when we voluntarily entered the service of the devil. Ever since then, by nature, the will of man is perverted, it's corrupted, so that it no longer wants at all to serve the Lord, but by nature we want only to serve Satan. So we entered what we called a voluntary enslavement. And now Article 15 asks a subsequent question, how far did this corruption spread? These two articles, 14 and 15, are searching out just how big of a mess did we humans get ourselves into? How bad is the mess? How far does it extend? There were only two people there in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the head of his wife. He took ultimate responsibility for the sin, but it's clear that both had a share in the blame. Is that where it came to an end? Or did it have some kind of effect on their children and their children after them? If so, what kind of effect? And what about little Mia Gwen here? This cute little baby. several thousand years after Adam and Eve? Was Adam and Eve's sin so far-reaching that it still affects babies like Mia today? Is Mia sinner or saint? Are you and I, as confessing believers, are we sinners or saints? We hope to answer at least some of these questions as I bring you this word of the Lord. Christians are both sinners and saints. That's our theme. Christians are both sinners and saints. We'll take a look at the original sinners, rescued sinners, and struggling saints. 
Well, Article 15 opens up with a very scathing, pull-no-punches, humiliating confession. There we say, we believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race. Before we talk about the spread of the corruption, I just wanna, I want you to note the mention of Adam. Because last time I mentioned how some people are proposing that Adam was just one of many human beings who are, were created in the beginning. Some say they were pre-Adamites. Some talk of co-Adamites, a whole bunch of original people all at the same time. But if that were so, how could the sin of Adam spread through the whole human race? And what we state here in the opening sentence is based on what Paul wrote in Romans 5, verse 12, which we read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, that's Romans 5, 12, it links it to the one man. It links the spread of sin, the spread of corruption, the spread of death to one man, Adam. But if Adam was not biologically connected to all humans, how could that corruption spread? If Adam was not the head of the human race by virtue of his being the first man, how could the entire human race be affected by his actions? So I just want to point out for a minute, brothers and sisters, that when, when people start messing around with Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when they start denying the plain teaching of the creation account in Genesis, it leads to a perversion of the gospel that we know from the New Testament too. It leads to a denial of that ancient confession of the church, that sin spread through the whole human race through the one man, Adam. So we have to take that very seriously. We as human beings, every human, we were represented by the first human, Adam, our first father there in the garden. So every human being is in Adam. We are represented by him. We are in him by virtue of the fact that we are descended from him. And I know this isn't something that sits all that well in, in today's culture. Because in our Western mindset, everybody thinks of himself, herself as a, an individual kind of disconnected from biology, disconnected from parents and siblings. We like to think of ourselves as separate, distinct, independent beings who just happen to have some kind of biological tie to siblings and parents, but we are our own entity and we want to be judged and assessed solely on our own merits. We also want to make decisions entirely for ourselves. And people don't like it when other people speak for them. Sometimes not even when their parents speak for them. I once heard of some young people becoming upset with their parents. Why? Because mom and dad had gone ahead years earlier and had them baptized as babies when they were not yet aware of anything, when they could not make any decisions for themselves, just like what Zach and Lindsay are doing here for Mia. 
Those people felt belittled and betrayed. They felt robbed of their right to decide. That's how they looked at it. It was their call. It was their right to decide whether they should be baptized. Not, that wasn't for mom and dad. So what is it now? Are Zach and Lindsay robbing Mia of her right? Did your parents rob you? Did they wrong you by having you baptized? Are you and I totally independent persons from our parents and from the rest of the human race? Are we autonomous? Well, our culture likes to think so, but it's not true. God tells us otherwise in the Scriptures. He tells us that all of us humans, we are one. We're one blood. We're one family. You can see it by looking at this baby who not only comes from her parents biologically, but she's utterly dependent upon her parents to live and to grow. This, that creation account of, of the human race coming from one set of parents is affirmed by Paul in Acts 17 where he says that all nations came from the one man. So the entire race is one humongous family. We are one blood. We've messed it up with our sin, to be sure, and that's why there's a lot of infighting and there's a lot of nations and nationalism and, and people groups are fighting against each other, but we are all one race. And the way that God treats man is as one family, a family that started out in holy covenant with Him in the Garden of Eden. It's true, man broke the covenant, and, and most or even at least many in the world live as covenant breakers, but that takes nothing away from the fact that God created, didn't create a bunch of loose individuals with all sorts of independent rights for themselves, nor did the Lord come along later with Adam or Noah or Abraham or David and simply covenant with them as individuals. No, He always included their family. He always included their offspring. He always included, in fact, their whole households. That's how God does things. He operates in family units. So that means that what your parents did and what Zach and Lindsay are doing today is not a matter of robbing you, robbing Mia, of a decision that you or I had a right to make. No, they were responding to God. To the Lord God who alone has the right to decide and to bring close to Him those whom He wants to be in covenant with Him. It was God's gracious decision. It was God's command to us, to your parents, to Zach and Lindsay, to bring you and now to bring Mia to the baptismal font in order to receive from Him certain signs and seals, the sign and seal of baptism. Today the Lord will claim Mia Gwen as His daughter. He has something to say to her, and nobody can keep the child away. So brothers and sisters, be assured, your, your parents, they weren't taking away your rights fact is, you and I had no rights because in Adam we threw all those rights away. We had no right to come to God. We had no right. But God says, 
bring them here. In my grace, I want them here. I'm going to bring them to me. I'm going to cleanse them in the blood of my son. So what your mom and dad were doing were giving you that undeserved privilege at the command of the Lord. They weren't removing either your responsibility to to choose for or against God because you and I were dead in sin. We would have never chosen for God. The grim truth is that as offspring of Adam, being represented by him in that very first covenant, we all, every baby, every child, every teen, every man, every woman, we are corrupt through and through. That's the second sentence of our text in Article 15. It is a corruption of the entire nature of man, and it's a hereditary evil. We, we inherit it from, from father to son and daughter. It's a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. David laments about that in Psalm 51. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The child that's conceived in the womb is already has that hereditary evil in him or her. We share in Adam's guilt, every human. We also share in the effects or the consequences of his transgression. As it went with our first father, so it goes with us. The Belgic refers to this as original sin, which is the name given not just to the very first sin committed by our first parents, but also to its effects. The first sin became the origin It became the source of our state of corruption as humans born after Adam. This guilt and corruption, it gets passed down, as I mentioned, from parent to child, also including little Mia here. The sprinkling with water in baptism will actually show that very need for her and for all of us. The very fact that water is brought forth indicates that there's dirt to be cleansed away. What's the dirt? We're not giving her a bath, at least not a a real bath. We're giving her a symbolic bath. The dirt is on her heart, just like it's on our hearts. We'll say in the form, baptism signifies the impurity of our souls, the dirt of our souls, the blackness of our souls, so that we may detest ourselves before God and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. That makes Mia, it makes you, it makes me, it makes every human an original sinner. It wasn't just Adam that fell that day. It wasn't just Eve who fell that day. It was all who are in Adam that fell that day and became corrupt that day. That's the whole human race. It's a confession not many people want to make because it... It totally deflates our our ego. It it brings us low. It takes away all possible merit from out of ourselves. And it's a confession saying we've got nothing in ourselves. We're spiritually poor. We're we're empty-handed before you, Lord. And actually, it's still worse because it's not just that we're empty before God, but our hearts have become evil. 
We've got a nature that is bent on serving ourselves and, and bent on turning away from God. There's no natural desire in our hearts to do right, to serve our Creator. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are dead in ourselves. The Heidelberg Catechism calls it our sin and misery. The Belgic calls it our original sin. The Canons of Dort have another phrase, total depravity. You take your pick, all referring to the same thing. It's this sin, this corruption of our being through and through. It's enough in and of itself to condemn us to punishment in hell. So that's bad news. It's the worst news. We are willful rebels by nature. We haven't even got a desire to break away from our rebellion. So in ourselves, there's only this emptiness, this powerlessness, this hopelessness. And yet, here comes the good news. The miracle is that by the grace of baptism, we are no longer in ourselves. We're no longer in Adam, but we are transferred to a new situation, a new status. We are now in Christ. And that's a game changer. That's the wonder and the beauty of the gospel that will be on full display here in baptism. God will have Mia Gwen Van Veen baptized into Christ. We just read from Romans 6. All of you have been baptized into Christ. That's a short way of saying into the triune God, but it's centered on Christ. You and I and every baptized person, we are given this new status. We are in Christ. A status, to be sure, that we have to accept by faith. Otherwise, we throw it away. And every baptized child has to grow up and accept that status in faith and live it out in faith. But nevertheless, Mia starts life with that status. She's in Christ. Every child of believers is in Christ. What does that mean? It means you belong to Christ. You're owned by Christ. You're claimed by Christ. He's got you. You are under His protection. You are in His righteousness. Baptism is a standing call to look away from ourselves and to look outside to the Savior, the only Savior, to Jesus Christ for the salvation we so desperately need. What do I see when I look at myself? What do you see when you analyze your heart? When I look at myself, I only find corruption. I only find rebellion. But when I look outside of myself to Jesus... There I find pureness. I find obedience. In my heart, I find only blackness. In the heart of Christ, I find whiteness. My Savior Jesus is calling me in my baptism. He's calling you in your baptism. He's calling Mia in her baptism. Look away from your depravity. Look away from the ugliness of your heart. Look to me, says the Lord Jesus, to my perfect holiness. Look at my righteousness. Look at the satisfaction I made to God on the cross for your sin and see that I give it all to you freely. See that you are a sinner, yeah, but you are a rescued sinner. 
By faith, then, I come to see my washing in the blood of Jesus, and I know that in the eyes of God, I'm as clean as a whistle. That's how He looks at me. This is the great blessing of the way that God deals with the, the human race as a family in covenant with Him. You know, on the one hand, there's that, that hard pill to swallow that the corruption of Adam spread through the whole family of the human race when he rebelled, and so it affected us negatively. But on the other hand, in this other family, the family of Christ, that other Adam, righteousness spreads to all of us, and we haven't done a thing to deserve it. So we can't gripe about the first if we're going to accept the second, right? That's also why Paul is so joyful in his writing in Romans 5. Verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. He's comparing then Adam with Jesus. For if many died through the one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the judgment following one trespass, that's Adam again, that brought condemnation. That put us in hell. But the free gift following many transgressions, that brought justification, a place with God and His family. Adam and Jesus. Paul elsewhere calls Jesus the last Adam. Adam represented his family. Jesus represents his family. The one has a family, Adam, the first Adam, connected biologically by blood. The last Adam has a family that's connected spiritually by covenant and by faith. Faith in the shed blood of that last Adam. And whoever is connected to Christ by faith receives the benefits that that Christ purchased by his obedience. And it's that transfer of, of righteousness and obedience that then translates us sinners out of the doghouse, the doghouse of condemnation, into God's house of justification. Out of the dungeon of death into the palace of life with God. Because of Christ and by means of faith in Jesus, we are rescued sinners now. Our original sin, it stays in us, for now at least, but our standing, that changes completely. No longer are we prisoners of Satan, doomed to everlasting death, but now we are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, gifted with everlasting life. That's the, the humongous change, the, the life-changing change. That's the meaning of that great declaration of Romans 8, verse 1. You know, it's one of those single sentences in the Scriptures that sort of says it all. And if you remember nothing else from the sermon, remember this, Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's it all, in a nutshell. Paul, in the surrounding context, is making clear that 
we still have a sin problem. There's still sin oozing out of us, so to speak, pouring out of our heart. There's still corruption inside of us. We also confess that in Article 15. Our original sin is not abolished nor eradicated even by baptism, for sin continually streams forth like water welling up from this woeful source. Paul says it also in Romans 7, verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. Right? You saw that whole uh, passage there in Romans 7 where he speaks about I, the things I want to do I can't do, the evil I don't want to do I end up doing. I mean, we all know that, right? We all experience that struggle. There's sin coming out of us, okay? Think of our thoughts. How, how many thoughts pop into our mind? Lust, envy, hatred, jealousy, desire for revenge. They just pop up there. We, don't, we can't even control that they, that they enter into our minds. They just come there. And sometimes we nurture them and nurse them there. Then there's the words that we speak, words that wound or injure or slur. They just roll off our tongue so quickly, so easily. And what about our actions? Think of your actions just the last seven days. My actions. How many of our actions really reflect the image of God? How many actions dishonored God? And offended our neighbor. And then all these things are just the ones, the, the thoughts, words, and deeds that we actually do, but there are also many thoughts, many words, many deeds which God commands us to do which we barely make a start on. The naked confession of the Scriptures is that we are sinners, we are conceived and born in sin, we are inclined by nature towards sin, sin's going to come out of our hearts till the day we die, like that's the bad news. But then comes God with this tremendous good news of Romans 8 verse 1, therefore, because of Jesus, there is no condemnation. Yeah, you're a sinner, but there's no condemnation. Yes, you spew sin, but there's no condemnation. Yes, you can't control your thoughts, your sinful thoughts, but there's no condemnation. Yes, you screw up, and I screw up, and we mess up in so many ways, but there's no condemnation because you're in Jesus. That's the difference maker. You are a sinner, says the Lord, and you will be till the day you die, though you'll be struggling. As I work faith in your heart so that you place your trust in my Son, I declare you to be a saint, though you are a sinner still. God's grace is so overwhelming that He welcomes us into His company, into His presence by faith in Christ, even while we remain sinners, which is an offense to Him. Think of how God hates sin, right? All the Bible clarifies that for us over and again. God is holy, holy, holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He doesn't have anything to do with sin. But for the sake of Jesus Christ and all of His merits, all that He has done, God the Father does not count your sin against you, doesn't count my sin against me, doesn't count my evil thoughts, my stupid words, my undone deeds, doesn't count them against me because of Christ there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are simultaneously sinner yet justified, sinner yet saint.
This is what Article 15, the trumpets as well, when we confess, yet in spite of all this, original sin is not imputed to us, imputed to the children of God to their condemnation, that's Romans 8, but by His grace and mercy is forgiven them. In spite of all this, in spite of all our corruption, all our depravity, in spite of my transgressions, my black heart, my shame, my rebellion, my stupidity, you can name it all, despite it all, sin is not imputed to us. That's just a, a term from the world of accounting. It means that God does not count, He does not credit our sin to our account. He took our sin and He credited it to Jesus. He said to Jesus, you take the sin, you pay for the sin. And He did. Full payment on the cross, our debt canceled. That's the mercy and the grace spoken of here in Article 15. Sinners become saints by God's sacrifice of His Son to pay for our sin. That's His mercy. And then that transfers to us by God's converting of your heart and mind to love Him and trust Him. That's grace. Mercy in the payment, grace in the transformation. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace is what the Lord pours out on us so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And still there's more good news. For not only is there no condemnation for those in Christ, there's also no longer domination by sin for those who are in Christ. Our confession is aware of both how deeply comforting this gospel truth is and how easily it could be taken the wrong way. As a confessing Christian with that sinful nature still, I could easily be tempted to conclude that, well, uh, since I will be a sinner, I'm a sinner today and I will be a sinner till the day I die, but yet at the same time I'm no longer condemned, but because of Jesus Christ I'm justified to life eternal, I could take that, I could breathe a sigh of relief and then just do nothing, just, just do nothing, just sit on my laurels, actually not even my laurels, Christ's laurels. I can sit back, I might think to myself, and enjoy the forgiveness of sins and no longer worry about, about committing sin because they're all forgiven, because Jesus has paid for them. There's no condemnation. But that would be a most unbiblical conclusion. That's what Paul is writing about in Romans 6. Maybe you want to look at that with me for a moment. Very powerful words there in Romans 6. Verse 1, page 1199. After trumpeting the grace of God and not condemning us in Romans 5, he says in Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question of our sinful nature. Answer, by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who, are, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here comes, we too might walk in newness of life. Can't walk in the old life. Your status has changed. You got a new boss. Jesus died not just to release us from that state of condemnation. That's important too. But He also died to release us from the grip of sin's control. Article 15 mentions this. This does not mean that the believers may sleep peacefully in their sin, but that the awareness of this corruption makes them often groan as they eagerly await to be delivered from this body of death. You see, that's how we roll as Christians. There's a lot of groaning because a true Christian, knowing the words of Romans 6, that we have died to sin, we hate sin just like Christ hates sin. A true Christian doesn't want to give in to sin, doesn't want to enjoy sin, doesn't want to be casual about sin, but a true Christian fights it. Little Mia Gwen is expected to fight sin too as she matures in life and faith. We're going to pray for her that way. In that prayer in the end of the form, may Mia live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king, and high priest, Jesus Christ, here it is, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. This girl's in for a fight. Her brother Rowan is in for a fight. Her parents, Zach and Lindsay, are already in the fight. And you need to teach those kids of yours to fight spiritually. The rest of us are in this fight, this spiritual battle against sin. We fight alongside these children. We fight together as brothers and sisters. It's onward Christian soldiers. A true follower of Christ does not allow sin to remain unchallenged in his or her life, but like the Lord Jesus, hates it and in the strength of the Spirit of Christ, works hard to put it to death, works to keep in step with the Holy Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit. Think of that, Galatians 5. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that it can be that sinful, those sinful tendencies, they can be put to death more and more. It's a process, to be sure, and it's, it's a grind, it's not something that we can finish in one day or that we will be finished by the last day of our life on earth. Nevertheless, by the working of the Spirit of Jesus, we can see those old desires start to fade back, start to perish off, start to be choked of their, their life in us. When Jesus died for us and when we by faith died in Him, we died to sin, as Romans 6 says, something changed categorically. It changed once and forever. Satan was dethroned, used to be the boss. Sin was demoted from being our master. And now Christ Jesus is on the throne. 
We belong to His kingdom. We worship Him. We serve Him. And He, the King, protects us. He supplies us with His Spirit and Word. He renews us in His service. We're going to fail and we're going to fall, but He picks us up and He spurs us forward in His service. We are dedicated to Him now. Not the old boss, the new boss, the new king, the Lord Jesus. Sinners, sinners we are, one and all. But as Christians, we are justified in Christ and no longer under condemnation. And that means we are saints too. We're marked off as holy children of God, just like Mia is marked off. She's sanctified in Christ. She's a holy child of Christ. And if we are justified, then also sanctified, for Jesus never does His work in half measure. Original sinners, rescued sinners, and now struggling saints we all are struggling on a pilgrimage, on a journey to the day when we will struggle no more, a day when we will sin no more, a day when we will be saints without that other word, sinner, not even a trace of sin in us, a glorious day, a banner day, the day of Christ's return, a day of wonder and joy. That day is coming. Amen.